Father, uh, Lord, we're, we're excited to be here. Thank you, God, that we can have musicians and songwriters and singers to, to just lift us up into that place where, where we can be in your presence. And God, it's, it's amazing to come together as the body and lift up our hearts. And we want, we want to stay in that same attitude, that same place as we open up your word. We want this to be an act of worship. So God, we do pray that you would speak to us this morning. And I know, again, we're coming from a lot of different places, a lot of different things going on in our lives. And yet I know that your word and you are able to address each one individually right where we're at. And so we want to be opened for that. We want our hearts to be receptive and, and ready to hear. And, and Lord, we want our minds to be changed. So we give you this time. We thank you so much for giving us your word for allowing us the, the privilege of gathering together to study it. And when we leave, Lord, we want to be different. We want to be men and women who are equipped and ready to do the ministry that you've called us to do, ready to go out into our world and make a difference. So we ask that you bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Have hey, you been with us for a while? It's been, it's been a long the walk through Matthew, I think we started a, a year and a half ago. But a couple weeks ago when we left off, if you remember, Jesus had gone to the Garden of Gethsemane and had that probably the toughest night of his life, well, partial night, and then they came and he was betrayed, he's arrested, and now we're gonna pick up from that. And, and you know, this morning I pray that we can look at him and his attitude and, and his conduct and draw from that for ourselves when, when we're in difficult situations and when we're being mistreated and we're being maligned and, and everything going on, that we would, we would learn from him. How do I handle that? And then also today we're gonna look at Peter. Peter's like my Bible hero. And even through this part, you know, even through this part, it's a sad, tragic part, but it's also such an encouragement. And, uh, you know, my prayer for those of us who maybe are a little even discouraged in our walk today, that we would draw from Peter's experience and we would gain from that and we would go forward. So as we, as we think about Jesus, again, he's been arrested and those of us who have been to Israel kind of just think they've gone across and they, they got a hold of him and they've taken him down that hillside across the Kidron Valley and now they're coming back into the, to the proper place there in, in, in Jerusalem in the walled city. And for homework, once again, for homework, read Matthew 14, Luke 22, and John 18. You guys have not been doing that. You need to do it. Do your homework. You're gonna flunk. But really, if you want to get a big picture, because, hey, you need to understand something. God used four different individuals to write the Gospels. And he used those four individuals so that we would gain a larger, to me, panoramic picture of what's going on. Each one saw it through their eyes and recorded through their eyes, and it gives us a bigger perspective instead of just one person. So as you read through those, you gain some things, and I'll reference to them as we're going through, but please read those for some homework. So again, Mark 14, Luke 22, John 18. You can even do that before the game today. You can get that done, I'm sure, before you sit down to watch a game and DVR the game, and then you can really get it done. But let's pick it up here. 
here. Remember, Jesus has been arrested. They've taken him away. Oh, and by the way, remember Jesus told his disciples, leave, go. Don't forget that, okay? So now they got him, and it tells us in verse 57, and those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. Now, this is to me insanity. What happens in the next few hours in the life of Christ is I think the greatest miscarriage of justice that's ever happened to anybody ever who has lived. Everything, listen, everything that the Sanhedrin stood for, they go against so they can get Jesus. It's insane when you think about it and when you think about what's happening. Now, John tells us, if you, read, if you had done your homework, because I've assigned this before. So if you did your homework, you know that John tells us that first they went to Annas' house, the father-in-law of Caiaphas. Annas was, well, we could call him this if you're into the mafia. Annas was the godfather. Annas was the one who ran everything. He wasn't necessarily recognized by Rome as in charge, but he was a high priest at one time, and Rome would shift him around. Now, you know, if you, if you know Deuteronomy and you know your, your, your law, you know that the high priest was a lifelong position, and you had to be out of the, out of the lineage of, of Aaron. But by the time Rome came along, they assigned certain people, so it was kind of a political office they ran for. And Annas was a high priest for a long time, but when they removed moved him, he didn't go away. He stayed in charge. And he had five sons. And it's interesting, out of his five sons, all of them were high priests at one time. And now his son-in-law, Caiaphas, is high priest also. So you have kind of this dual role going on. As a matter of fact, do you remember early on, Jesus cleansed the temple? Turned over the money changers' tables? did all of that. He did it twice, right? Early on in his ministry, I believe he did it twice. He did it in the book of John, tells us early on, and then later he does it again. Do you know who was in charge of all of that? Annas. He didn't like Jesus. He didn't like Jesus at all. He had an ax to grind with this guy. He needed to get rid of him so his, his whole uh, 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 market thing could happen and, and his business, his corporation could take off and do things. So he hated him. So first they take him there, but I think they took him there for a specific reason. Not just so Annas could question him and, and, and be mean, but they're trying to assemble the Sanhedrin at Caiaphas's house. That's why they say they're at Caiaphas' house and it says then, it says he was the high priest, scribes and elders were there. That's the Sanhedrin. After the Babylonian captivity, when Israel came back, they developed this system called the Sanhedrin. It was supposed to be 70 guys in Jerusalem proper. And here's the thing, it, you can read this, you can look this up online, look up the Talmud and the Sanhedrin. And what amazes me, their whole purpose for existing Listen to this. Their, their mission statement, if you will, was this. To save lives, not to destroy lives. Wow, does that blow your mind? That was their, that's, why, that's why they came together. They were supposed to be a body of judges 
who judged what was going on. They weren't supposed to bring charges. They break, they break so many of their own laws. Now listen, this isn't, this isn't law. Somebody last night said, where is that in Deuteronomy? Some of the things I'm telling you is not in Deuteronomy. It's in their writing. It's when they put things together and they say, this is what we stand for. So a couple things, and, and I'll go through some more as we go on. But first and foremost, number one, very beginning, they were never to assemble at a private house. They were to assemble at the temple, and it was to be public, out in the open, number one. Number two, they were never to assemble at night. Number three, they were never to assemble during a feast time. What are we celebrating here? Passover. So look at those three right off the bat. Those three, they completely ignored, threw them out the window, and went on their own. So you can see how, you can see how messed up this is when you begin to look at it. And, and you got to wonder if some of the guys that are in the Sanhedrin, if some of them aren't scratching their heads like, what are we doing here? How come this is going on? How come this is happening? Oh, and then also you can look up Talmud. So you guys are going to Google that, right? And check that out and look up the Sanhedrin and Talmud. Sure you are. And Deuteronomy. And then you can look up Deuteronomy 16 and 19 that talk about trial in general according to the law. And the big thing there was, number one, they were supposed to be fair and just. But number two, it's going to talk a lot about witnesses in those. And we're going to see how bogus this really is. So they're together at Caiaphas's house. Oh, and by the way, Caiaphas and Annas lived in the same kind of uh, 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 compound, if you will. They would have had a, a system where kind of a U-shaped buildings and his sons and his daughters and everybody would have their own particular house and a big courtyard in the middle. And Jesus, as we're gonna find out, goes back and forth in that courtyard from one house to another house, back and forth, and not at the temple. So that's going on. So he's got them there, they're assembled. Oh, and there was supposed to be a minimum of 23. We don't know how many were there. We don't know if they broke that law or not. But anyway, they're together, they're there. Now the next part is interesting, verse 56. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard and he went in and he sat with the servants to see the end. Oh, Peter. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people bother Peter for following at a distance. That wasn't Peter's problem that night. Here's what Peter's problem was, that he followed him, period. What did Jesus say? Go, go, get away from here. And Peter, because he's Peter and he's self-confident and he thinks he knows better than what the Lord tells him to do, Peter follows him. And here's what really blows my mind. If you had done your homework, you would know this already. Peter shows up and he can't get in, but there's another disciple there who gets him in, John. In the book of John, it says, John, John was close with the high priest. Now, that kind of bothers me. I don't know about you guys. Like, I think John's a cool guy, and I think he's the apostle of love and all of that. But I'm thinking, dude, what are you doing hanging out with these guys, and how come you have an in with them? What's going on there? What, what was John's gig that he had that close relationship where he could get Peter and he could go into that courtyard? I think it had to be from his fishing business, huh? And I have some business connections. Otherwise, why? Otherwise, what other connection would they have? So, so John lets us know, and he always does that. He always does it kind of cryptid, right? John says, and the other disciple got Peter in. 
In John's gospel, when John says the other disciple, that's him. He just doesn't name himself. So, listen, now Peter's in there, and then the other thing Peter does is, who's he hanging out with? The servants. Do you remember when they arrested Peter for us two weeks ago? I'm not Peter when they arrested Jesus. Remember when they arrested Jesus? Remember what happened? One disciple said, I got this, Lord. Stand back. Right? And he gets a sword and he goes after an entire army. One guy goes after a whole army. I got this. And he cuts off what? Who's there? A servant of the high priest. Now, who's he hanging out with? Think about that. A little bit bizarre, right? It's like, Peter, you just, sometimes you just don't think. Do you ever want to jump in your Bible and help some of these guys? Let them know that you read ahead and they shouldn't be there? So, Peter, now, now here's, here's what we also need to understand. I think Peter could hear stuff going on. I, hey, it wasn't done like real quiet and whispery voices, so think about hearing, think if you're Peter and you're, you're hearing what's going on with your Lord and, and you're understanding, hey, you know that there's a miscarriage of justice. You know this whole thing's bogus. So it'd be hard to be involved in that. So now we, we leave the scene in the courtyard and we go back into the room where they're at. Verse 59 says, now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. Now, I think something we need to understand. I don't think they went and they said, hey, we need some liars. Could some liars come forward and help us? This is Matthew's perspective. They were seeking testimony. I don't think they went out and said, hey, we need some false testimony here. I think they're seeking testimony. Matthew's letting us know it would be false, whatever it was. So I don't want us to kind of get a misconception that, that these guys are going, hey, we need a bunch of liars to show up to court today. So they're seeking, they're trying to find, and one after another would come, and, they, and well, well, look at the next verse. It says in, in verse 60, he says, he says they were looking uh, for testimony to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. So listen, they would have a witness come, and he would say, I saw him do this. And then the next witness would come and say, well, I saw him do that too, but the stories would not line up and they would have to throw that out. At least, they were, at least they were doing that. That was kind of generous of them. Oh, by the way, they were never to ask for testimony. They were judges. The prosecutor was supposed to do that. And then again, according to Deuteronomy 19, if you're given false testimony and the testimony was false, you were to receive the punishment that that person you were testifying against would receive. So a lot of miscarriage going on, right? They didn't, they didn't carry that out. And that's, that's according to the Bible. So you got these witnesses, you got witness after witness showing up and they're kind of not lining up. And then it tells us at the end of verse 60, but at last two false witnesses came forward and said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. So now finally two of them, two of them come up and they come up with, a half-truth. By the way, a half-truth is a whole lie. Remember that. Don't, don't go around as a Christian saying, well, I can tell a half-truth. No, if you tell a half-truth, you're telling a whole lie. And these guys came and they messed up what Jesus said. That's not what Jesus, listen, it's not what Jesus, it's close to what Jesus said, but it's not what he said. In John chapter 2, 
Jesus said this, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. And so listen, he didn't say, I will destroy this temple. He said, hey, you destroy. And then later on, John tells us what? That he wasn't talking about the temple, that he was talking about his body. And so Jesus wasn't promoting terrorism against the Jews and to, to destroy the temple as they're saying and proclaiming he did. He didn't do that. By the way, I have used that passage in John chapter two with Jehovah's Witnesses quite a few times talking to them because I always ask them this and they don't come to my house anymore. But I ask them when they come, I say, you know what, all I wanna do is talk about Jesus. That's all I wanna talk about. They get a little freaked out. They go, how come you're so stuck on Jesus? I say, because he's my savior, that's why. And I'm stuck on Jesus. So let's, that's what we're gonna discuss. And then I ask them this. I say, who raised Jesus from the dead? And they tell you, Jehovah God. I said, are you sure it was Jehovah God? I'm positive it's Jehovah God. And then I say, open your Bible, because they're gonna use their Bible. Open your Bible, read John chapter two. What does it say? And they, they get this part and it says, Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will raise it. And I said, hmm. I said, you got a problem there, don't you? And they go, I don't wanna talk to you, we're leaving. <laughs> it's a good passage. So, hey, so Jesus said he's gonna raise and he was talking about his body. He wasn't talking about the temple. Although these two guys said that. Now, now this is where I love this part. Listen, in verse, verse 62 says this. And the high priest arose and said to him, do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? You kind of get this picture that Jesus is just sitting there stoic, looking at him. And these two guys bring this accusation, and, and you know in his heart of hearts, Jesus is thinking, that's the most bogus thing I've ever heard. It's not what I said. How many of you would be in a room where you're being accused of something, and someone blatantly misrepresents you? How many of us would sit there quiet? I would want to, but I'm not sure I would. I would jump up and say, they're lying. It's not what I said. And Jesus, you can just kind of, and I kind of think he's like looking into their souls too. You know, that had to be an uncomfortable, listen, it had to be, I don't think it was uncomfortable for Jesus. I think it had to be uncomfortable for everybody in there. And this high priest is trying to, in, in, in my mind, trying to keep it together and keep people focused on, we gotta get this guy, which again, was not there. They were not to do that. Oh, and they were not allowed to ask questions. And he just asked them a question. And he's accused him. So he asked him and Jesus is silent. Oh, and then he says, he says in verse 63, but Jesus, came, uh, 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 but Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us. Now listen, Jesus is just keeping that quiet attitude, kind of fulfilling Isaiah 53, right? Isaiah 53, he was silent as a sheep before the shearers. He's there, he's silent, he's not saying a word to them and you kind of get the idea that man, it had to get tough so now the high priest is going, hey, I want you to take an oath before God. Here's what he's saying, man. Right now, he says, I put you under oath before God. You tell us if you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now listen carefully. There's nothing illegal about claiming to be the Messiah. Nothing wrong with that. You could claim to be the Messiah. 
And that's not against, that's not blasphemy. That's not against Jewish law. It's a little crackpot kind of thing, you know. We know you're not the Messiah, but you could claim it. And that's what to me is bogus. He's saying, really? Are you the Christ? Now, we know from a different perspective, right? We know that Jesus was the Messiah who was going to die for the sins of the world. But I just want to emphasize it wasn't necessarily against the law. But he does add that part, are you the Christ, the son, of the, uh, the son of God? And then here's what I love. Jesus said to him, dude, you said it. <laughs> right? Don't you love that man? Jesus said, you said it. You got it. That's exactly who I am. Finally, finally, somebody gets who I am. Because Jesus has been telling people for a while, right? Remember, Peter's the one that said, hey, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, hey, Peter, you didn't come up with that. God revealed that to you. So now here this guy says, is that who you are? And he goes, you said it. I love, man, his first words out of, out of this whole bad trial thing were, yep, thank you very much. And then he adds to it. You see, because I believe part of it is, I believe Jesus is ready for the fight. It's kind of like, come on. So he throws down, right? He says, you said it. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Whoa. Now, sitting at the right hand of power, he's saying, I'm going to be sitting at the right hand of God. Remember, the, the Jews didn't like pronouncing the name of God, and so they would come up with different things. And bottom line, Jesus is quoting Psalm 110, uh, verse 1, and Daniel 7, 13. He's, he's going to the Old Testament. Remember, he would go there so they would know exactly what he's talking about. And when he's talking about this, he's claiming to be that and the, the, the Messiah in those passages, the Christ in those passages. So he said, that's who I am. Now listen, man, you could just feel when, when that came out of his mouth, it's like somebody dropped a hand grenade in the middle of that meeting. And again, uncomfortable when you're sitting in a meeting like that. Have you ever been in a meeting where you're surrounded by people who are, even, even if they're not hostile to you, they're just, you just sense they're not on your side? It's extremely uncomfortable. We were in Mexico. When we were doing ministry in Mexico, we would hike to this village. And, and uh, when we would go in, even when we got to the village, we would get to the end of the village and we would have to sit under a tree. It was always funny. Same tree, sat under the tree, waited for them to come out to tell you you could come into the village and visit them. And then we were in the village and we wanted to get permission to come back and do ministry. So we said, hey, we want to come back. We want to do some ministry. We want to come back and share some things. We want to come back and do some, some dental work and help you guys out. And we want to build a runway over here and, and do certain things. And they go, well, we have to have a meeting. And so we went in this house, this room, and it was, everybody sat all the way around the room. All these guys are sitting there, all the way around the room. And they begin talking and sharing. And then one of them says, we need to speak in Aztec because we don't want those guys to understand, pointing to us. We don't want them to understand what we're saying. And we're going, okay. That makes you feel uncomfortable. I would tell you something, but you guys want to hear something? So they're, they're sitting around, they're talking, and they're all spitting. They're, they would talk about spit. So I started spitting. It's a, what was a dirt floor? And Eric goes, what are you doing? I go, they're spitting, I'm spitting. They gotta be part of this, man. We gotta get culturally relevant so we can minister to these guys. And he said, Pat, please stop. <laughs> That's why he didn't like taking me on trips. 
So anyway, but anyway, you, that uncomfortable feeling and, and Jesus is in the midst, his is, his is escalated into hostility. And you can imagine when he said that, when he said that one thing, it had to be, man, the tension in that room had to be over the top crazy. And a high priest jumps up, verse 65, the high priest jumps up, tore his clothing, saying, he has spoken blasphemy, what further need do we have of witnesses? So here's what he's doing, he's pronouncing judgment, right? He's done it, what further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you've heard his blasphemy, what do you think? And they answered, he's deserving death. Oh, the trial? Their paperwork on what they were supposed to follow? Number one, number one, you could not accuse the person. Somebody else is supposed to be there to accuse the person. He pronounces the accusation against him. Then he says, let's vote. You were never to vote on the day of the trial. You're supposed to wait one day for mercy to come. Remember what their motto was. We're here to save lives, not destroy lives. Number two, if it was a guilty thing that they, got, they said he deserves death, if it was guilty and it was a unanimous decision, you had to let the guy go because there always has to be mercy mixed with judgment. Hmm. All of that stuff going on, and, and that's just background to let you know how horrible it is. When somebody hates Jesus, they will stop at nothing to get him. And even today, when you hear of this stuff people do today, not any different. So, so, hey, they say he deserves death, and they're ready to kill him. They pronounce judgment, and again, you were supposed to wait two days before you did a guilty verdict on somebody that deserves death, and you were supposed to pray and fast before you took the vote. So, it's crazy. It's out of control. They're saying he deserves death, verse 67. Then they spat in his face. They beat him. Others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, prophesy to us, Messiah or Christ. Who is the one who struck you? So they're mocking him. They're making fun of him. They're spitting on him. They're beating him. And all of that is going on. Meanwhile, there's this guy hanging out in the, I was going to say the lobby, the courtyard. And you know Peter's hearing this. He's got to hear it. And Peter walked in that courtyard, and he's ready to fight. Hey, I believe with all my heart, Peter went in there ready to fight. I believe he went in there ready to defend his Lord. I believe he's thinking, I got, hey, I used a sword once, I'll use it again. I'll cut, I'll cut more than your ear off. And he's ready for the fight, and listen carefully, but he's ready for the fight in the flesh. You see, Peter prepared. He didn't, he didn't listen to his Lord, did he, when his Lord said it? He didn't pray when he was supposed to pray. He had self-confidence, but not confidence in what God said. And he's out of place. He's not where he's supposed to be. So he walks in, and, and I believe with his whole heart, he's ready. In 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote this. This is important for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul wrote this. Therefore, let him who thinks he stand take heed unless he falls. Hey, you think you're all that? You better be careful. And I believe, listen, I believe he went in there ready. And I think, I think with all my heart, I believe if somebody would have attacked Peter, it would have been game on. I think we would have seen one of the best MMA matches ever. But that's not what happened. Look at what happened. You see, you need to know something. The devil knows you better than you know you. And he is going to attack you in your weakest place, not in your strongest place. 
I always tell people this. I am never tempted. When I go in a bank, I never sit in a bank and go, man, I'm taking all of my strength not to rob this bank. <laughs> all of my willpower. Like, I'm not, I go in a bank, I'm not tempted to rob the bank. But I, and I'm not going to tell you, but there are places I go where I am tempted. And he knows our weakness. And so Peter's ready to fight. He's ready to go. I think he's all bound up. And then look at what happens. Now Peter, in verse 69, Peter sat outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him saying, you're also with, you were also with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you're saying. And when he had gone out to the gate, to the gateway, another girl came, another girl saw him and said to him, or said to those who were there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, dude, you cut off my friend's ear. I know you were there, right? Surely you also are one of them for your speech betrays you. Listen what goes on here. One after another, and isn't it sad? No offense, but really, a girl? Like, Peter, you're all ready to fight, and a girl comes up to you, and implied in that is a young girl, not a, not a woman. A girl comes up and says, hey, and he's going, no, no, that wasn't me. It's like, dude, come on. And she goes, you're a Galilean. Listen, when they're saying that, that's a, when she says, we know you're from Galilee. That's saying, we know you're a hick. We know you're a backwoods boy. She's putting him down. And then they come and they go, hey, we saw you. He denies it again. And then they come and they say, we know you're a hick because we hear you talking. And you talk like a hick. You've got that accent. You can't hide that. And we, and we know you cut off this guy's ear. And they're on to him. And listen to what Peter does. Listen. Then in verse 74, he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Here's what, here's what, listen. We kind of read that and we kind of think he took some oaths. No. Peter lost it. Do you understand? He lost it. And his, his vocabulary was horrible. And he's cursing adamantly. And swearing at people, he's not cursing and pronouncing curses. He's swearing, he's cursing. He's gone, off the, he's gone off the rails. And all the time he was ready to fight, but not, he wasn't ready to fight a little girl. He's ready to fight tough guys. And now here he is screaming, denying the Lord. I don't know him. And then it happens, right? The big thing, I do not know the man immediately a rooster crowed. As Peter is yelling and swearing in the background, wow. Do you know what that did to his heart? At that moment, don't you know that his heart sunk? Here's what I love. Jesus prepared him for this. Saints, you gotta understand Jesus prepared him for that moment. He didn't prepare him not to deny him. He prepared him for the moment he did deny him so he would be ready so he could be broken. You see, big difference between Peter and Judas. Man, that went off. And here's what's funny. The, you know, I, I, love, I love scholars and I love reading scholars, and, but sometimes they drive me crazy. Like the big, the big debate is, was it really a rooster? Well, hens don't cock-a-doodle-doo. 
And then the big thing is, well, they didn't allow roosters in the city proper within the walled gate. So how could have he heard it if he's within the city? Have you ever been out in a quiet area and a rooster may be 18 miles away and, you know, hey, if it's really quiet, you hear that sucker. And then you get your gun out. But listen, man, you know, all of that stuff. And so one of, the, one of the outs for Peter and for the writers of the gospel is when they would change the guards, they would change the guard every four hours. They had first watch, second watch, third watch, fourth watch. The fourth watch began of the night, began at 3 a.m. and went to 6 a.m. Or I'm sorry, every three hours, it's to 6 a.m. So listen, they're in that watch, and so they say it had to be the 3 a.m. change of guards, and when they would change guards, they would blow trumpets, and they named that the rooster crowing. And I'm going, you know, I don't care. I don't care what it was. You know, part of me thinks, really, that's a lot of big explanation. I think I believe it was a rooster. But if you want it to be a guy blowing a trumpet, that's fine. Here's what I know. As he's swearing, the sound went off. And it pierced his heart. It hit him so hard. Listen, and Peter, verse 75, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus, the word that Jesus had said to him. He says, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Luke's gospel, man, you gotta go home and read Luke's Luke's gospel. At that exact moment, according to Luke's gospel, at that exact moment, they take Jesus out of that room and they begin to walk him across that courtyard. Who's in the courtyard? Peter. And Jesus has got spit on his face. He's bruised. He's swollen. And he takes him across that room and Luke tells us this amazing thing. Their eyes met. Peter and Jesus How do you think Jesus looked at Peter? Think he was disgusted? Think he was angry? Or do you think his eyes communicated, Peter, I love you. You're gonna be okay. It's gonna be all right. You see, you can say a lot with your eyes, can't you? And I believe the minute their eyes met began the restoration of Peter. And then later on, when he raises from the dead, he meets with Peter, one of the first. And he makes sure it's okay. And then in John chapter 21. So as you're reading John 18, go ahead and read 19, 20, and 21. As you get into 21, they go to the Sea of Galilee and, and, and Jesus restores them in front of everybody and makes sure that's taken. But man, can you imagine, listen, their eyes meet. And it says, man, he remembered, hey, here's what's great. Here's what Peter did. He says, oh, I should have been listening to the Lord. You see, a lot of us pick on Peter. And I believe, if we're really honest, someone last night said they've never done it, but I think they need to repent from lying. (laughs) If we're honest, we've denied our Lord. Maybe not that publicly, but we've had an opportunity to do something and we've let it pass by or something. And you know, here's the thing. We need to know that there's always restoration. Our God is about restoration, not destruction. Listen carefully from this. Oh, I I have to read the last part. It says, so he went out and he wept bitterly. You know what weeping bitterly means? Doesn't mean he went out and shed some tears. It means he went out and wept from his gut. And it was violent. He was repentive. So I want us to understand something because I think this is important. 
on the one hand, you have the law and the way the law operates. Even though they broke the law, you have the law. And the law will always push you down, beat you up, and in some ways destroy you. And then on the other hand, you have grace. And grace will lift you up. And grace will bring you to that place of freedom. And we need to understand that. Hey, I think this is a horrible passage, but it's also, to me, one of the most encouraging passages in all of the New Testament. Because you know what, man? Peter was set free that day from his being prideful, Peter was set free from that day from not listening to the Lord anymore. He was set free that day, I think, from prayerlessness, all because he went the wrong way, and sometimes that's how some of us learn. Sometimes it's the only way some of us learn. Listen, the reason I say this, check this out, 2 Peter, when Peter later on in life. Listen to what he wrote. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. Listen, from your own pride and thinking you can stand and thinking you're great. He says, watch out for that, being led away with the air of the wicked. But, listen what Peter says, don't get trapped into that, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter learned a lesson that day that never left him. And you and I prayerfully don't have to dip that low to learn. But he hit a low spot, but there's also in the low spot, there's hope. Kind of a song we sing today, right? Out of the ashes, hope arises. So we need to trust him. And hey, if you deny him, there's hope. Don't beat yourself up, but trust the Lord. Let's stand up and pray.